0: Welcome to the Pop Culture Tournaments podcast, where we discuss and debate past results as well as entries in upcoming tournaments hosted in the Facebook group Pop Culture Tournaments. Pop Culture Tournaments is where you can vote on the best of the best of pop culture in tournaments set up in the style of the NCAA basketball tournament. And now,
1: here are your hosts, Dan, Rob Matthews, and Bruce Slap Beach. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Tournaments. I'm Rob. I'm Tinkers. I'm Dan and today we're going to review the greatest fast food restaurant tournament and the greatest Broadway musical tournament. We'll also take a look ahead at our next one, the greatest major league baseball player of all time, which starts Sunday, May 9th. Before we get to that, though, we'd like to bring in a special guest. He was the director of research at the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum for over 19 years. He has authored or co-authored several books and essays about baseball, and it's our pleasure to welcome Tim Wiles to the show. Tim, Thank you very much for making time to visit with us today. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Well, let's start with you uh, telling us about yourself, where you grew up, went to school, how you ended up at the Hall of Fame, what you're doing now, or anything like that you'd like to tell us.
0: I guess it's going to be a long podcast then, you know, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll uh, tell you. Take your time. That. <laughs> I grew up in Peoria, Illinois as a Chicago Cubs fan and uh, and a baseball fan, and uh One of my claims to fame is that my great-grandfather played, uh, I think, 20 games in the major leagues in 1906 uh, for the Cleveland Naps. Um, But anyway, uh, so we're a baseball family. Uh, Always have loved the game and anything about it. Um, I went to college at the University of Iowa, and uh, the day after I graduated, I was reading that week's issue of Sports Illustrated, and there was a big article about the library at the Baseball Hall of Fame and how they had about 3 million items related to baseball. So I just said, hey, I got to be there. Um, So the next day I called on Monday and uh, tried to get a job and was uh, soundly rebuffed. Um, And I just kind of uh, kept trying for four or five years and eventually got an internship and uh, got a master's degree in library science. And then um, when they were expanding about five years after that in 1995, that's when I, Got the chance to join the staff of the hall full time. And essentially what I did there is dig up baseball information starting in the pre-internet age and, and ending in 2014, uh, when of course it was very, very well established. Uh, so we worked the most fun thing to do was to work with regular fans and, and uh, help them, you know, find things like their relatives, uh, baseball statistics from the past or the first game they ever attended to, attended, etc. But we worked with the film industry and all the authors writing books and helped write the Hall of Fame exhibits and, uh, you know, just basically anything to do with history. Um, My guys and gals and I, uh, you know, kind of headed those projects up for a long time. And uh, it was a real privilege. And uh, you learn a lot about baseball, obviously, when it's the work that you do all day, every day.
1: Fantastic. And so what are you up to now?
0: So, uh, seven years ago, I took a job as the director of a suburban public library near Albany, New York. Um, My wife is a school superintendent, and she took a job uh, about an hour and 20 minutes from Cooperstown. And for a long time, for three and a half years, I kept commuting to Cooperstown. But um, when you put 750 miles a week on your car, um, it's a costly affair. Uh, You know, your car's eight months old and it's a high mileage mileage car. Uh, So after (laughs) my son uh, got to be six years old and started playing t-ball and I was like, I got to get a job where I live. Um, So that was seven years ago and uh, having fun with it. Um, But I do miss the Hall of Fame, no doubt about that.
1: One of the interesting things that I read about about you in preparation for talking to you today was your portrayal of Casey. Can you tell us a, a little bit about that?
0: Sure, Um, so I started at the hall in 95 and in 96 uh, the postal service issued a Casey at the bat stamp and they had some ceremonies related to that at the post office right across the street. From the Hall of Fame and uh, it's kind of fun, there was this guy who worked at the post office, who was locally famous for dressing up as whatever celebrity um, they were issuing a stamp as uh, or of uh so when the elvis stamp came out he dressed as elvis and when the marilyn monroe stamp came out he dressed as her even though he was about six seven um and uh when the casey at the bat uh stamp came out he was unavailable i think he was on a medical leave or something so the postmaster called across the street and said who do you guys have that you'd like to stick in a casey at the bat uniform for us and um Uh, I was the newest person at the Hall of Fame at that time. So I got that gig. And uh, I liked it because it just was standing around posing for pictures in a baseball uniform, uh, as opposed to working. And everyone kept asking me when I was going to recite Casey at the Bat. And I would say, well, after I learn it. Um, So a couple years, it took a couple years to learn the poem. um, But uh, once I learned it, I got to recite it. Uh, I still do it a a little bit here and there, but I got to recite it an estimated 2,500 times. Um, Wow. That I've done it in 22 states um, and two nations, the United States and Canada. And, um, you know, just had a lot of fun with it. Um, It's, uh, I tell young kids, um, if you can set yourself apart from other people who do the same thing that you do, then you're going to get some opportunities that... um, that other people don't. So um, I got to see much of the baseball world through
1: Casey. That's awesome. And what did you, did you use a uniform that, like how did, how did the uniform come? I'm assuming it was period authentic or you know. Yeah, or it was anyway.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, so the main way the uniform came about is that also in Cooperstown, there's an opera company and uh, there's an opera version of Casey at the Bat that they had performed So my initial uniform, I borrowed from them, but after a while I had to give it back. So, you know, there's like uh, companies that make Civil War gear and vintage baseball gear and stuff like that. So um, picked some of it up there. um, And uh, some of it was challenging, like uh, it's hard to find the shoes that you see baseball players wearing in the 1880s. Uh, So that was a long Mm -hmm. search, but eventually I found them. So, you know, stuff like that. Had my own mustache for a while when my wife, uh, when I got married, my wife said, yeah, we're not going to have that mustache. So after that, I used a uh, kind of a cosmetically applied one and, uh, you know, just uh, had fun with it, you know.
2: You know, in the St. Louis area, there's a company that makes period authentic bats. Yeah. Um, Because my understanding is that like a lot of the like period authentic baseball is actually becoming more popular. There's teams. Yeah that are like, okay, we focus on baseball from the 1870s, like like the pl- style of play, and mm-hmm. uh, uniforms and gear, etc. That's focused on 1870s to 1900s. And then there's mm-hmm. other ones. That, and it, to me, it's just one of the coolest things. And it just goes back to baseball truly being America's game, even if it's not the most popular of sports anymore, uh, which is somewhat sad to me. But it, it's still hard to argue that baseball is America's game. I'm with you. Yeah. <clears throat> yep.
0: Those guys, when you hang out with them, they're like, well, I'm sorry, we play 1854. And then the other team will be like, well, we, we do 1868. So sometimes <laughs> when they get together, they have to agree on, uh, and they're good researchers, you know, because uh, the rules evolved over time. That, that's a good example of what I used to do at the hall. You know, people would be like, uh, Hey, what was the sacrifice hit rule in 1881, you know? And so you have to go back to the original sources in some cases and, and figure out how official scorers would have worked on something and so forth. Wow. It was really wow. cool stuff, you know? One, one uh, forgive me for the digression, but um, one time when uh, we were coming up to the McGuire and Sosa home run chase, um, the question was, So Roger Maris has this asterisk on his 61 homers in 1961 that the commissioner put on. Did it ever appear in print? So we looked at every rule book, every magazine, every newspaper we could find, everything from 1961 through like at least 65 or 66. And the commissioner put a rhetorical asterisk, but not a typographical asterisk. So questions like that, you know, we're kind of the fun, interesting things that we uh, that we did there at the home. We got paid to do it.
1: That's what I was thinking. That just sounds like there had to be days where you couldn't believe you're getting paid to, <laughs> to do it. And yep. yep. and that's the and best that, job you can have is where you don't feel like it's work a lot of the time. And yep, yep. And just there are
0: people, you know, there are people that love to teach and they, they feel right. that way about going to work every day.
1: Yeah, I don't, but some people do. <laughs> no,
3: <I'm kidding. laughs> Speaking of the asterisk uh, next to Maris's number, uh, I think Dan has a question
2: to you for you re- re- regarding what later happened to that record. Well, I do. I mean, I, so not specifically about the record itself. Um, and I, I want to give a short little lead-in for the listeners who are also part of the tournament. When we were coming up with our rankings – uh we as the cedars thought about and discussed whether or not we were going to take into consideration steroids being banned from baseball etc in our rankings and we all agreed that's on your own right like if you feel that it should be considered in your rankings then take it into consideration if you don't think it should then then don't and i am a firm believer that the impact that steroids had on baseball is marginal at best. When you look at, again, I'm a researcher by trade. So th- like every there's tons of actual academic research that shows that the impact of the steroids on home runs was very marginal, except for the health of the players. That's mm. from what I've from what I've gathered, that's what what I can find is that the health of the players was heavily impacted, which did, of course, increase the numbers. But it wasn't so much that Barry Bonds hit 77 home runs because of steroids. It's that he was able to be on the field long enough and be healthy enough to hit those home runs. I've also seen lots of research that shows that the baseball, although if you cut it in half, it looks identical to a ball from 93 or 2007, the balls in that era were especially aerodynamic, very reduced drag, and they cannot for any reason figure out why. So I wanna know, like what's your gut instinct, or if you do have background information um, on the research of steroids in baseball, what do you have to say? I mean, am I wrong here? Uh, Did it have a bigger impact than than I'm portraying? You know, I don't want
0: to sound wishy-washy, but my gut feeling is that there are conclusions on both sides, and there's so much complex data. And you didn't say anything that I disagree with, first of all, but um, you know, a, a large part of the outrage about steroids focuses on the fact that, you know, people say after the steroid era, you can no longer compare baseball statistics across eras. And that's a bit of a faulty premise because um, it was a lot easier uh, to um, pitch in 1968 uh, than it was in 1932. Uh, and you can flip that around and say it was a lot easier to hit in 1932 than it was in 68. Um, so and, and it's there's ups and downs. There's probably 10 distinct eras in baseball of offense and, and defense, um, you know, surging ahead of, of the other one. And then, you know, there's the argument that it's an unnatural thing to do. Um, I saw a thing just on Facebook today where somebody was saying, you know, Hank Aaron was so, so much better than um, Barry Bonds, you know, because he did it unaided. And then somebody else said, well, you know, he admitted to taking amphetamines or greenies, which were common in the 1960s. Uh, And, you know, people got by, uh, you know, got off the hook. They're not, they're not. Held to account for that, old Hoss Radburn used to like. Um, I can't remember. I think he he. Uh, this is in the 1880s, and he's rubbing horse urine on his hands because he thinks that he's going to absorb the hormones of the of the male horse, and it's going to make him stronger. So, you know, it's not a justification, but the the idea is that players have always done whatever they could to get an edge. Um, you you got a rule book. Um, and uh, anything you can do that's not specifically addressed in the rule book that day is assumed to be legal um, until next year when they change the rule book. So the comparability across errors is tough, uh, across errors, excuse me, is tough. Um, You know, Joe Morgan, I was was not a huge fan of Joe Morgan as a broadcaster, but You guys probably remember that he used to defend Barry Bonds uh, vehemently on the on the ESPN telecasts and he said you know um, steroids don't help you hit 370 Um, and he's pretty much right like I in terms of your research Dan it it seems to me that most of what I read focused on that it helped you rebound from minor injuries quite quickly so you could get yourself back in the lineup and um uh you know, I'm, I'm glad when a star player is in the lineup. I didn't, you know, the other thing I, and I'm sorry, I got so much to say about this, but the other thing about keeping those guys out of the Hall of Fame, first of all, I've never, you know, I worked at the Hall of Fame, I would never have a vote, you know, um, but if I had one, I probably wouldn't have voted for them yet, uh, but I do see the trend that you guys probably all see year to year where their percentages go higher, but Culturally speaking, what gets me is everybody knew about steroids, but only the players get blamed Um, and the players made money, but everyone else was making money. Nobody said a thing. Um, So why do we punish just the guys who took the drugs and hit the home runs, but we don't punish the commissioners who turned their uh, blind eye and the owners who encouraged it and Managers who had umpteen opportunities to report it and think about the overall health of their players, uh, both mentally and physically. Um, you know, every once in a while they arrest somebody who used to su- supply the drugs to the guys, but other than that, it's it's mostly the guys who pay the price. And um, you know uh, that argument that you hear players make a lot, which is everybody in the world wants to take my job. And so I'm gonna go for whatever edge I can get. I'm not trying to justify their behavior, but it just doesn't um, tear me up inside the way it does some people. I would call myself a purist. Um, I'm thinking if the National League permanently adopts the DH, I might just only go to minor league baseball. Although they watch the DH, but uh, you know, um, college baseball, high school baseball. I mean, there are things I hate. Steroids doesn't bother me all that much just because I think it's part of our overall culture. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, I was doing a college class about baseball the other night on Zoom for a friend of mine, and they were asking me a version of this question. And I said, there's going to come a time when players have electronic equipment uh, implanted in their body. Um, And I read a science fiction story once about the last major league player to play with a human body that had no artificial parts in it. Um, and it was a really cool story, but it got me thinking that someday we're gonna look back at the steroids thing and we're gonna go, well, that's a silly question now that we have bionic elbows and, and uh, you know, vision that's 2010 with implants in our eyes and, and whatever else, you know. So I know it's a little bit of a crazy point to make, but steroids are just another stop in the road and there'll be something 20 years from now that um, replaces steroids as the subject of the debate.
2: You know, you, you, you said two things that I wanna bring up that I <clears throat> that I fully agree with, and just add a little bit of context of my own personal opinion. So the two things are connected, but in a weird way, but you just mentioned vision of 2010, and mm-hmm. earlier you mentioned about Hank Aaron doing amphetamines. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done lots of drugs I in my past. I wanna... I, although I defend baseball players doing steroids, I don't necessarily condone it. I certainly don't support it. I Mm -hmm. certainly 100% don't encourage any, (laughs) any kids, you know, doing that type of thing. But I do say that in the past, looking back saying, okay, Barry Bonds, does he deserve to be in the hall of fame? In my opinion, absolutely 100%, no question about it. Yes. I rated him number one overall in the entire tournament. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of it is the fact of what you just said. Hank Aaron did amphetamines. It's known that the guys in the 60s and 70s, and probably earlier than that, 50s, were probably doing lots of amphetamines as well. Amphetamines improve your reaction time. They improve your vision, your ability to focus, make you run faster, make you throw harder. That's what amphetamines does for you. Steroids make it's a five-tool drug. It, it, it's the Mike Trout of drugs. <laughs> but so that's what amphetamines does for you. Steroids make you build muscle and recover from injuries. Tell me what Roger Clemens gained from doing steroids. Recovery. That's About Five years in the big leagues. What's that? About
3: five years longer on his career. Absolutely
2: you are absolutely, but it didn't make him go from a 97 mile per hour fastball to a 100 mile per hour fastball. Nope. It maybe gave him the ability to hit hundred miles an hour in the seventh inning. Whereas without it, he could only get through this, you know, fifth inning at hundred miles an hour. Anyway, the, but amphetamines connected to me to that 2010 vision because it, it makes you focus and have that intense focus to where you can see the rotation of the ball and blah, 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 even better. So that's my two cents. And, and I've spent way much, too much time on this, Tim. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Hey, Tim, quickly before we move into the
3: tournament, you know, it seems like every Hall of Fame, whether it be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, the, the Peoria Policeman's Hall of Fame, whatever Hall of Fame, there tends to be that one person that is egregiously being omitted from the Hall of Fame. Now I want you to throw out the Steroids boys and Rose and Joe Jackson, because we know why they're being omitted. Who who in your mind is that one person that is just the most egregious omission currently from the Baseball Hall of Fame?
0: So uh, the one that comes to mind first, and I can think of five or 10 that I would support, but I'm a big uh, supporter of Jim Cott. For the Hall of Fame. Um, I can't remember the win total but it was above 265 might have been closer to 282 or 283 something like that. Um, in an era, um, of course he did he was in an era where there wasn't as much relief pitching so he would have been in games longer, thus having opportunities to pile up wins. Uh, but the uh, what is it 16 gold gloves like uh, it's a lot of gold gloves. And the, um, I like players that are well-rounded and complete. Uh, you might guess, of course, that I'm a big, uh, Greg Maddox fan. Um, I don't really do that sabermetric type stuff, but I think, um, you know, when you look at a good hitting pitcher or when you look at a good fielding pitcher, I would love to go out there and compare, um, Maddox's at-bats uh, as a 354, 355 game winner, something like that, to the at-bats of um, you know, any National League pitcher that um, didn't give a shit what he did at the plate. Um, and uh, I think you might be able to find 12, 15 times where his, his work at the plate or his work with his glove was the difference. And I know the win is not really... A sexy statistic right now to the to the big saber people, um, and I'm a member of saber. But um, to me, you know, it's a whole game. You don't just do one thing. You don't just hit home runs. You don't just strike people out. And uh, so, um, you know, one of the examples I use, and I'm getting back over into the DH argument, but one of the examples I use is um, Peoria's Joe Girardi, who of course is a catcher. Um, Girardi has a 267 lifetime batting average, which is pretty sweet for a catcher who played I think 15 years in the majors. Um, But if Joe Girardi was up with the bases empty and a three or four run lead um, with two outs, um, Joe Girardi was gonna put the ball in play as a hitter immediately in order to make an out if his pitcher was doing well because he wanted his pitcher back on the mound. Now. People who don't like the DH, um, they don't see uh, people approach at bats like that. But if, and I'm not saying I'm a baseball genius, you know, but if if you're looking at the game with the complexity that a a Joe Girardi or a Tony LaRusso or um, any Sparky Anderson, any real student of the game, the at bat doesn't need to be used to hit a home run. It doesn't need to be used to get a hit. Um, You can advance your team's interest in other ways um, that don't show up in the box score, which is a cliche, but um, you really pay attention to what's going on in baseball. You want those well-rounded players and those thinking players. And uh, so Jim Cott was the first guy that came to my mind just because I think there are pitchers in the hall of fame and I you know hope you don't ask me who, who I think, but I think there are pitchers in the hall of fame that are not as good as him but that played later and are, are being measured by a little bit later, you know, standards. And again, getting back to the whole steroids question, does it mean the same thing to win 266 games in the 70s as it does in the, in the 90s or in the 1930s? You know, very, um, very much it does not, you know? Um, but I'd like to have caught on my uh, starting rotation, you know? And, you know, I love Bert Blylevin, but What's the difference between these two guys, except that Kotz a better
1: fielder? The one thing that came to my to my mind as you were talking there is um, how much interaction did you have with the other halls of fame for the major sports? And uh, Did mm-hmm. you go to them? Did you? I guess uh, the reason I bring it up is when you were talking about all those statistics, and if somebody comes to you and says, "What was what was this rule in 1881 or whatever?" In my mind, I started thinking like, "What a, is there?" another sport that comes even close to having the historical documents and data that baseball has. And so I yeah. just wonder like what your interaction with the other halls are, are were like while you were working and, and stuff. That's a,
0: that's a cool question, Rob. I uh, have been on a lot of these kinds of events and I've never been asked that. So kudos to you. I'll go over to Dan for a second as a social science researcher. And I'll say that kids who study statistics at like the, um, you know, master's degree level often use baseball because it's one of the long, longest lasting historical data sets in not just American culture, but any culture. Um, and, uh, you know, as Dan probably knows, it's, it's a messy data set, messier than people think. Um, but at any rate, um, so we did have interactions with football, with basketball, um, hockey, uh, and even, you know, definitely softball, which is a, a you know, a cousin of baseball. Um, the, and the uh, kind of the really funny th- or fun thing about it is there's a convention once every couple of years for people who work in that particular industry. There's an association called iasmof which is the International Association of Sports Museums and Halls of Fame. So they get wow. together, you know. And you, we worked often with the NCAA Museum and people like that. Uh, the, there's a museum out in uh, Los Angeles called the LA '84 Museum. That was a sports museum. Is a sports museum established with the uh, money left over from the only Olympics ever to make money, uh, which was the Los Angeles '84. Um, so all those men and women at all those different places, Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island, um, they have a lot of issues in common that are about things like preserving documents, and um, uh, all museums in America, anyway, have evolved over time to where um, 75, 80 years ago, if Babe Ruth was gonna give his jersey to the Hall of Fame, he handed it to the Hall of Fame. Um, and then I'll tell stories on the Cubs here, but you know, Sammy Sosa had a big bat. Um, I forget which one, but maybe his 62nd home run bat or 66th or whatever from the 98 season. And uh, he gave it to uh, the hall of fame and he gave it to a a museum in uh, in the Bronx as well. Um, But you can't give one bat to two museums. So uh, the hall of fame has to do things like um, study photographs and study footage uh, to make sure that the uh, artifact being given today is the proper one. Um, And of course, You could do a little of that going back in time like if you have a bat in your collection and it's reputed to be the one that um babe i have a friend actually who owns the bat that babe ruth used for his 50th home run in 1927 um and like there are guys at the hall of fame who can you know find footage of an at-bat like that and or find still photos and get out the jewelers uh you know eyepiece and and try to verify that you can verify a lot of things, but some things are, you know, there's not enough uh, visual evidence around to verify them anymore. Um, but anyway, so it's more complicated now than it used to be. So when those when those museums get together, they're like, okay, how do you authenticate an artifact? You know, and uh, it might be different in tennis than in baseball, but we might be able to learn something from them and vice versa.
1: So speaking of Babe Ruth uh, hitting home runs, did he Did he call his shot? Wow. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I'm going to go with what John Thorne said, uh, the official historian of Major League Baseball. And I'm not sure if he was talking about Ruth's called shot or something else. But um, it, and it, again, it's not meant to be a cop-out. But um, it doesn't matter if he called his shot. What matters is that we are talking about it on May 8th of 2021, because he's such a charismatic figure and a huge part of the game. And he certainly had the talent to call his shot. Um, I mean, you hear about guys who say, I went up to the plate with two outs in the 11th and I was gonna end it. You know, They just don't stand there and point at the camera and say they're gonna do it, but they say it on the bench, right? Oh, guys, I'm gonna get us home. You know, um, So there are a lot of guys with that talent. But Ruth has the charisma and the personality to kind of carry it off. And um, so I honestly, if, if you make me pick, I'll say I think he did. But, um, but I also, as a Cubs fan, point out that I believe Charlie Root is still the winningest Cubs pitcher of all time. And uh, he, um, he was asked to be in the Babe Ruth story movie and he said, "You know what? What are you going to have me do?" And they said, "Well, we're going to have you serve up that home run." And he said, "No thanks. I don't want to be in your movie." And he said, "If that guy had called his shot, um, I'd have knocked him on his ass." So <laughs> there's truth on both sides. Of but I, I believe in the superhero known as Babe Ruth. Um, I see some superheroes behind you there, Rob. And um, uh, there's some great, great ball players in history. But if there's a ball player more Talented and interesting than Babe Ruth, I'll uh, eat my hat.
1: And so, if we would have had you on our seating committee, you would have joined me in the number one ranking of Babe Ruth as the overall number one?
0: I do. Do you want me to go into that a little bit or no?
1: The, you know, hey, feel free. Well,
0: um, you know, there's obviously the, a debate about who's the greatest baseball player of all time, and it gets very semantic, you know, like what is a player is a pitcher, a player, you know, I, I personally, I like it when pitchers win MVP awards. Um, but, um, uh, I realize that some people don't and I can, I can understand why, but Babe Ruth, you know, obviously would have made the hall of fame as a pitcher had he continued as a pitcher. Um, he might've even made the hall of fame as a pitcher if his career had ended in 1920, because he was that dominant, uh, with his 94 and 46, I think, and 2.28, um, And yes, I know Dan probably for sure. And maybe Bruce and Rob are saying, you know, it's a little easier to have a 2.28 in that era than it is later. But um, uh, he was a very, very dominant pitcher. Um, But the thing is, I, you know, I love Willie Mays. I love Stan Musial. And one of the interesting things about Musial is that he was a pitcher for a while. um, And then he became an outfielder. Um, I love, Hank Aaron as the potential uh, greatest player of all time. I think you can make a case for Cobb, but almost all of those guys, um, you know, have like three innings pitched in their career. Um, and Babe Ruth is a dominant, dominant pitcher. Um, so to me, a baseball player, it goes back to my earlier thoughts about gold gloves and about using your at-bats to help your team rather than pile up statistics. Um, there's no one who's ever been able to perform both offensively and defensively like Ruth, you know? And uh, so to me, it can't possibly be anyone else because um, they weren't great pitchers. Um, I think it's also true. I used to say this, but I've kind of lost track of all this modern newfangled research, but um, back when I was at the uh, hall, it was really, really hard. In fact, maybe even impossible to find somebody who'd written a book or done a study that concluded that someone other than Babe Ruth was the greatest baseball player of all time. And you, it, it's almost like an industry where people were trying to, trying to find out who that person would be, but most anything he picked up had Babe Ruth number one. So did you guys have a disagreement about that?
1: Not really, he's not our overall number one. We had eight people rank and half of us voted him number one uh a two a three a four and somebody threw in a ten which um dragged him down to the fourth overall is that right the, no sorry right, third overall oh it's okay. my
2: three oh my bad my bad. ted Ken williams was our four is number four overall
1: that's right
0: sorry Good Sorry, God. I'm, I mean, can you tell me who one and two are or is that against
1: yeah. the podcast? Well, no, we'll be going through all the matchups. And, okay, and okay. Um, um, yeah, we don't talk about the overalls very much, but you can piece it together based on we start with um, the regional that has the number four overall as its number one seed. And then we mm. go through to the number one. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we want to talk about it now or want to no, go through the guys, matchups.
2: It's your podcast. Just uh, take it away, you know. So, you know, one thing I want to throw out there real quick, though, just so that Tim knows, um, if we have regular listeners, they already know. But when, when we're seeding, we are not necessarily seeding where I think Barry Bonds deserves to be or where Babe Ruth deserves to be on that Mount Rushmore. What we're actually seeding is where we think the 1,800 people that are part of the group will rank them. Ah, so so I think... I took that into consideration very strongly with somebody like Walter Johnson, who, who if you're not a baseball fan, you've never heard of him. And mm-hmm. therefore, you're not gonna rank him, right? Same way with you know some of those early, early baseball players, whether they deserve to be high on the list or not, the average Joe who might watch one baseball game on television a, a year and watch it, and that's the World Series game seven, they don't know who Kid Nichols is, you know. Like, yeah. so, yeah. so it does. Does Kid deserve to be high on the list? Yeah, probably, but not in our rankings. Mm-hmm. No, and that's no, so that's important.
1: All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and move into the matchups so um, we can get through those, and then we'll we'll talk about the overall. Uh, so you'll see what the top four are as we go through, Tim. Mm-hmm. So um, first up. Um, well, as should say, as usual, we have 64 entries divided into four regionals, the regionals in the tournament were named after the hometown of the top rated player in each regional. So with that, let's dive into the San Diego, California regional, where we see the number 15, Eddie Matthews up against number two, Ty Cobb, the 10th seeded Mariano Rivera is taken on number seven, Sandy Koufax. Ernie Banks is the 11th seed taken on the aforementioned Walter Johnson at number six. Bob Feller's at 14, playing number three, Albert Kuhols, Number 13 is Al Kaline, and he's going up against number four, Mickey Mantle. Number 12, Lefty Grove is going up against another lefty, number five, Randy Johnson. The 9-8 is Tom Siever at nine, going against eight, Roger Clemens. And the final game in the San Diego, California Regional sees number 16, Willie McCovey, taking on number one, Ted Williams. Slatt, what stood out to you with this regional?
3: Well, you know, I'm one of those guys, and I, I took a lot of time to write, do my seedings. I looked at other people's lists. I looked at saber metrics, and one of the things that I am a huge person on is taking in the totality of somebody's career, not just their best moments. And a perfect example in this region is is Albert Pujols, who who's going to end up having like a 21 year career, the first 10 of which is all timeish, and then the last 11 of which is jay johnstonish you know <laughs> and so do 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 we overly reward albert for an all-time half of a career and then a just a guy second so i think albert's a little overrated here um i and i think uh koufax a little underrated but again sandy had a short career and of course uh, ted williams lost some time to the war i i think uh I think this region's up for grabs. It could, be, it could be Albert because of the St. Louis part of it. He just retired. Recency bias plays a big part into this region. Wouldn't surprise me if Albert comes out of this region.
1: So and related to that, would you look at his ranking differently if he would have retired after the end of his Cardinals career? And not gone on the other 11 years. Just if, let's say he had a devastating in, knee injury or something, and he had to retire, and that's all he had was that 10 year amazing career. Is the number, what is he, three or four? Number three,
3: is that, would that be right? It would be low because the only the only sample of data I would have had would have been all time data. Okay. Um, that's interesting. You know, it's kind of it's like I think the best thing that ever happened to Kirby Puckett was he got hit in the eye and had to retire from baseball. Otherwise, he turns into Dave Parker. Him Mm. and Dave Parker had very similar careers, except Kirby Puckett didn't get to tack on five mediocre years at the end that everybody remembers. I think if Dave Parker retires after the 1986 season, he's in the Hall of Fame in 1991. The fact that everybody remembers those last four years where he's on the bench of the California Angels and the Milwaukee Brewers um, really played into the fact why Dave Parker has to buy a ticket to get into Cooperstown.
1: (laughs) That's fascinating. That's, Dan, what do you think? Uh,
2: I'm, there's, there's three matchups in, in this regional that I'm really looking forward to. Two of them are the pitcher's duels, right? So Clemens versus Seaver and uh, Mariano versus Sandy. Um, I think that there's a good chance that Mariano upsets Sandy, um, and that is because of recency bias. Um, I don't, you know, mo- most of the people in our group are in their 40s and 50s, uh, or younger, um, but a lot of 40 and 50 year olds. I don't know how many of them are are going to, you know, pull the trigger on Sandy Koufax as opposed to watching Mariano invent the splitter and just chop more bats than, you know, <laughs> any lumberjack ever has. Um, and I really think that the biggest upset that I see is going to be Ernie Banks is going to take out Walter Johnson. I'm sure. almost 100% confident that I would be that would be shocked if that doesn't happen. Yeah, with with the number of Cubs fans we have and then what I mentioned earlier about Walter Walter Johnson, um I just do not see Walter making it out of this first round.
3: Oh, absolutely. There's going to be a huge Cub bias in this tournament. We saw that when we asked our group to nominate the one guy we cannot leave out of this tournament, greatest of all time, and four people nominated Mark Grace. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm pretty sure that Ernie's our only cub in the field,
2: isn't he? Uh,
3: Mordecai Brown was a yeah. cub, right?
2: He, did, did Sandberg make it? No. That's probably partially my fault.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Cubs, uh, Billy Williams didn't make it. Fergie Jenkins didn't
2: make it. Uh, Lee Smith. Did he make it? No. Oh, what about Maddox? Oh, uh, Maddox. Yes. yeah. I think he was my number one overall um, pitcher, if I remember. But he's a, a brave. <laughs> I'm with Bruce. He's a Padre, on actually. He's a Padre. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, that's what I have to say about this regional. Yeah.
1: All right. Um, and I'll skip over mine. Tim. Tim, what did you anything jump out to you there as we ran through those names?
0: So I want to make sure I understand uh, the process here. Like, okay. um, if um, it sounds like what we're trying to do is predict what eighteen hundred people are going to say right. in twenty twenty one, rather than give our opinions about, you know, Mariano versus Sandy and kind of thing. Well,
1: y- yes, but the, but for the podcast, we have listeners who aren't actually in the group, so uh, both both conversations can happen. Okay. Well, um, and I'm really, so I'm, more I, interested in, I'm more interested in, cause you're not familiar with our group. I'm much more interested in hearing what you think about them as legitimate, real, real because,
0: you know, as I mentioned, I think it was before you came on, but, um, I didn't really like study or anything. I kind of just go in with my gut and, um, you know, like I've, I am a Cubs fan, but I've got to pull Walter Johnson onto my team before Ernie Banks. And I love Ernie Banks, you know? Um, one of the really interesting ones for me was um, Koufax versus Rivera because um, you know uh, Koufax uh, has what six maybe seven I think it's six dominant seasons and Rivera has an entire dominant career um, but then of course you know where are you historically like uh, you know the real old timers are like yeah all Rivera, all Rivera ever had to do was get three guys out whereas Koufax you know what generally would have to go nine, you know? So um, I would, uh, I loved watching Mo pitch, but I'd put Koufax on my team before I'd put Mariano Rivera on my team. Again, Feller over Pujols, but I, I see what Bruce is saying about the um, presentism or uh, recency bias, you know? Uh, the real interesting one is seaver Clemens. Um, you know, uh, that's a pretty close matchup. Um, but my gut tells me Seaver, you know, like um, Clemens is not the franchise, you know, and they both pitched for different teams, you know, for a long time, but um, Seaver may still be the greatest Met um, that ever played. Um, Let's see, uh, Kaline and Mantle, I was thinking about a little bit because I've never been a huge Mantle guy and some people, you know, pillory me for that, but I said a thing on Facebook the other day. Um, I said if um, if uh, Mickey Mantle had Pete Rose's drive, and I'm not a Pete Rose fan either, but he'd have a thousand home runs. Um, you know the way that uh, that Rose approached the game. Um, you know, other than in the gambling sense, was was incredible. You know, like uh, he wanted a hit in the ninth inning of a game that the Reds were up twelve to nothing, and Almost nobody else wants a hit in that game. I admire that, you know, like I don't, I don't like half-assing it. I didn't buy a ticket to see somebody say, let's get out of here, you know? Um, but anyway, interesting matchups. The McCovey Williams one is interesting because obviously as somebody mentioned earlier, Williams is in the, the um, debate for the greatest player of all time. Um, but at the same time, uh, if we're looking at the totality of a career And you don't have to take four and a half seasons away um, that as you do with Williams, because he went to two wars. um, If it's just on the field, maybe you have more benefit to your team over time with McCovey, you know? Um, And yet Williams is a dominant, dominant player. And um, so is McCovey, you know? (laughs) I mean, um, I don't know. That's a tough one right there. Um, Most people would go with Williams. Um, I would think he'd win that matchup just, both guys are anachronisms to the the person who watches one baseball game a year but williams is a better known name so um you know i think that one there uh grove and johnson was interesting but um yeah i don't know grove <laughs> so anyway
2: um
3: K-Line's how, many, pi- how awesome. many
2: pigeons did uh, lefty grove blow up that's what I. <laughs> that's uh that is
0: one of baseball's oddest and coolest moments, you know? Yeah, poor Pigeon.
2: Uh, <laughs> but it is so cool to watch. I've watched that
0: yeah.
2: 500 times easily. <laughs> Timing week. is
0: everything, man. <laughs> right place at the wrong time.
1: you yeah. know. So Anyway. All right, so we'll move into the Westfield Alabama Regional. Here we see the number 15, Yogi Berra, taking on number two, Cy Young. The 10th seated Mike Schmidt is taking on the 7th seated Jackie Robinson. Number 11, Miguel Cabrera, is taken on number 6, Roberto Clemente. Number 14, Shoeless Joe Jackson is up against number 3, Rogers Hornsby. The 13th seated Warren Spahn is taking on the 4th seated Nolan Ryan. Number 12 is Grover Cleveland Alexander. He's up against number 5, Ricky Henderson. The number 9 is Pedro Martinez, playing number 8, Yvonne Rodriguez. And the final game in the Westfield, Alabama regional is number 16, Satchel Paige, going up against the number one, Willie Mays. Dan, what'd you see in this one?
2: A couple, again, a couple interesting ones uh, that I'm paying attention to. Uh, Miggy versus Roberto Clemente. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. I think that'll be a fun one uh J- joe jackson versus rogers hornsby you've got somebody who is extraordinarily famous although should be infamous um going against in my opinion the all-time greatest second baseman um if not the all-time greatest second baseman he's the second best all-time like he he's that damn good and i don't know when somebody- just
1: below just below ryan sandberg guys but sandberg. clearly
2: clearly yeah, right. okay. <laughs> um <laughs> So I'm wondering, like, how much And anybody who knows baseball, I think, goes for Rogers Hornsby. But Joe Jackson is so well-known, so common, commonly known through, like, just ordinary non-baseball fans that I think that that might give Joe Jackson an edge. Uh, I'm pulling for Hornsby not only as a Cardinals fan, but as a baseball, baseball fan as well. He was Um, a cub, too, you know. Yeah. Just like Maddox. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I do want to throw out one thing, that if instead of all-time greatest MLB player, if instead we were the best quotes of any athlete that's ever lived, then you got to go with Yogi Berra. but we're not. We're judging them as baseball players. And Cy Young deserves to just crush the St. Louis native Yogi Berra. No disrespect towards Yogi Berra, but when you're going against Cy Young, I'm sorry. I've got to vote with Cy Young. That's what I say. All right. Tim, what do you see here?
0: Well, I'm going to disagree on that one. I mean, it is a very, very tough call. And, you know, statistically, you're probably right. But Yogi Berra has 10 World Series rings. Um which is more than anyone. And there are intangibles that, uh, that might come into play. Cy Young spends half of his career in the underhand era and half of his career in the overhand era and is to be admired for bridging those two eras, um, but arguably they're different games. So um, I've never said this before and I don't really believe it, but theoretically you could cut that win total in half um, and, and say in modern baseball, um, he won about 255. Um, you know, I love the guy. Um, you know, his name is on more Hall of Fame plaques than any other baseball player, Cy Young, because of the Cy Young Award. Um, but I would take Barra. I mean, you know, um, I don't think Barra was uh, the Ringo star of those Yankee teams who was just along for the ride. I think he was an integral part. Um, and I am a huge Beatles fan. And and I think Ringo wasn't just along for the ride, but a lot of people do. But Yogi's who's got the name recognition for the way you're your tournament works. I mean, everybody's heard of both of these guys, you know, Yogi's kind of a little bit of a punchline a little
1: bit. Um, and yeah, do you, you think that happens? he's, do you think that he's under uh, underrated just in general, not, not just as a 15 seed tournament, but just how people view him when you look at the famous Yankees uh, of all time, do you think that he gets dinged because of that kind of that reputation for saying the goofy things and being kind of a, Kind of a joke um, compared he, to what he I actually think, brought to the team
0: i think he does he was a great bad ball hitter um which makes things happen on the field and you know he's a great comedian a great american humorist he's like the size of yoda um his name is yogi um so he's he's a comic figure you know but he's a great baseball player which i i i, I like him a lot um Schmidt versus Robinson, you know, Jackie Robinson is a giant in American culture and and a great baseball player who didn't even get to start till he was 28. But Mike Schmidt is Mr. Third Base, you know, like uh, I'd have to take Schmidt over over him. Um, I'm gonna pass on Clemente versus Cabrera because I'm more of a National League guy and I haven't paid as much attention to Cabrera. But um, uh, if I just on a gut feeling, I'd take Clemente. I'm with uh, Dan on Hornsby, um, but I also think the fact that there's movies and books about shoeless Joe Jackson will probably help him uh, emerge in that uh, in that matchup. Um, I'm really, I, I think it's bizarre the Warren Spahn uh, versus Nolan Ryan. I would have Warren Spahn on my team anytime before Nolan Ryan. Quick story uh, I had this guy working for me at the Hall of Fame who was a, a real, real matrician and seam head when it came to pitching. And um, uh, he was also a smartass. And uh, so somebody wrote a letter one time and said, you know, I think the Cy Young Award should be renamed the Nolan Ryan Award because Nolan Ryan was the greatest pitcher of all time. And this guy came to me and he said, am I allowed to answer this question without any um, uh, attempt at public relations and just talk about <laughs> What actually happened on a baseball field and i said sure go ahead so he wrote back to the guy it was email and they had a um and the guy writes back and he says you know um uh tell me why you think nolan ryan wasn't wasn't all that good and i'm not a sabermetrician i'm you know i can't tell you what he actually uh found but this guy's written four or five books on pitching and um he says well for starters. For 25 of his 27 seasons, Nolan Ryan wasn't even the best pitcher on his team. Um, so, however, the way your uh, tournament apparently works, he's much better known than uh, than Warren Spahn. Um, but uh, I'd take Spahn. Ricky Henderson versus Grover Cleveland Alexander is interesting. I think Ricky Henderson stands alone in terms of um, his ability to get on base and his ability to create runs. I I think he's a unique baseball player that um, he might be in this whole regional, the guy you'd want first. Um, I mean, uh, Willie Mays. uh, And then boy, that's a tough matchup, Willie Mays versus Satchel Paige, Um, both heroes of baseball and pop culture. And then, you know, none of us really knows how to to bring the Negro Leagues into full totality with the major leagues. but if you can believe what they say about him, there was probably nobody better than Page, you know? Um, so, yeah, but yet you're talking about Willie Mays, who's, you know, in the top five baseball players of all time and it's proven as opposed to Satchel Paige might've been. Um, so, I don't know. Pudge Rodriguez to me is just one awesome baseball player. Um, and yet Pedro Martinez was kind of a Koufax in his era too, you know? Uh, that's a tough matchup. Um, but I think pitchers are prettier, you know, they're the pretty boys. Nobody's gonna vote for Pudge. So um, it's an interesting, really interesting region. Slat, what'd you
3: see? Well, I see a Schmidt and I saw a Matthews in the last region. So I'm a little upset. We didn't even consider Bobby Veach to be in the top 64, but I'll go ahead and get past that. Uh, yeah, the, the thing when, when it comes to Satchel Page and Jackie Robinson, we were asked to only evaluate them as MLB players. Oh, okay. so, so the database that we had, you know, obviously, uh, but I, I'm glad they both got into the tournament. Uh, I, I think Yogi Berra was just along for the ride. Uh, and I think he's very, you know, that's like saying, to me saying Yogi Berra has 10 World Series rings is like saying, Will Perdue has four NBA championship rings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think there was a lot more around Yogi Um I think Pudge is slightly overrated, but we'll get that in the next region. So that's what I got to say, Rob. Okay. Um,
1: and I, I know we're running long. This is we're running longer than, than we usually do, but the, the, the conversation is fascinating, and and uh, and I, I hope you're having a good time. Um, but you touched on something that I that I would be interested to know what you think about the whole Major League Baseball recognizing the Negro leagues and making their official stats count and stuff like that. how did that affect you? And, uh, like, if it was still your job, like, like, so like how that would affect the hall of fame and just what you think about it personally. Yeah.
0: Well, um, I think that because you've got a historical impossibility, like you can't go back and integrate the major leagues in 1920 and say, um, they they made 1920 to I think 1948 uh, Major League status. Um, so it's impossible to actually go back and see what would have happened. Um, I think that there's sort of a social justice or fairness element in saying that these guys, you know, played at the highest level that was available to them. Um, I don't know what I think about the argument that people make that anybody who played Major League Baseball prior to 1947 wasn't any good because they didn't have to play against the best competition anywhere you know you can kind of like the steroids thing you can make that argument over and over again like now we have Latino players and now we have Asian players you know Um, so uh, and at one point Irish people weren't allowed into the major leagues and then they came and dominated it Um, so uh, overall I was glad that it happened but it's kind of Kind of bizarrely interesting too because uh you know bob feller used to have the only opening day no hitter and and uh i can't remember who it was in the negro leagues but he had an opening day no hitter too so you have to, you, if i still worked there i would have to be so careful saying that bob feller had the only opening day no hitter or that all these things that are taken for granted as gospel that might not be true anymore like who's you know uh Cobb still got the highest lifetime batting average, I think. I haven't looked at it, but, um, you know, stats like that, um, and, you know, I'm not one to say that Josh Gibson hit 800 or 900 home runs. I think that's a great, interesting uh, estimate, you know, but uh, there's something like 190 of them or something that are verified. Um And you know, can we help it that the newspapers in the black community were weekly and that the white newspapers didn't cover black baseball? No, we can't help it, we can't change it. So we don't really know. Um, But I think given that you've got that quandary you can never answer, go ahead and call these guys major league players um, out of respect, I think is kind of the bottom line for me. And um, it's interesting that it came when it did if it had come 20 or 30 years earlier, then a lot of those guys would have qualified for pensions. Um, and I'm not saying that um, that Major League Baseball waited until then because they're cheap. I think they did it now because our society's coming to terms with that aspect of our uh, racial history. Um, but had it happened earlier, um, some of those guys would have had a more comfortable uh, last quarter of their lives kind of thing, um, which is sad, but um, you know, I think it's respect for those guys. Um, they could they could play great baseball. It's a shame that we don't know how great they were. Anyone wants to throw their opinion out, I'd be interested. But I also don't <laughs> want to keep you guys. I'm okay, but you know, we could go five hours probably. Oh good.
2: I can't. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one doing the editing. So if we go five hours. <laughs> I quit that's
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right all right so uh, our third regional is Baltimore the Baltimore regional and there we see number 15 is Cal Ripken Jr. taking on number two Stan Musial the 10th seeded Tony Gwynn is playing number seven Frank Robinson the 11th seeded Steve Carlton is up against number six Johnny Bench 14 is Rod Carew, taking on number three, Ken Griffey Jr. 13th seed is Lou Brock, and he's taking on number four, Barry Bonds. George Brett is the number 12 seed, and he's playing number five, Greg Maddox. Pete Rose is the nine, playing number eight, Onus Wagner. And at 16, you've got Mordecai Brown taking on number one, Babe Ruth. Um, Tim, what do you see going through there? Okay, um, love
0: Cal Ripken Jr., but Musial is um, higher up for me on the uh, all-time greatest players ranking. Tony Gwynn versus Frank Robinson is um, is really crazy and difficult, and it's also got a lot in common with Bro- Rod Carew versus Ken Griffey Jr. Um, they're uh, you know uh, if you're a sweet swinging uh, left-handed line drive hitter uh, like me. Um, then maybe you would pick uh, Rod Carew and Tony Gwynn. Um, but if you want to like uh, drive in some runs and play some defense and so forth. Um, well, of course, Gwynn is a great baseball player all around. He even pitched decently. Um, but I think I go with Robinson and I think I go with Griffey, even though I loved Carew. Bench, hands down, you know, uh, greatest catcher uh, ever. Um, even better hey. than Yogi Berra. Did um, you Could you say that again, Tim, louder? Greatest uh, bench, greatest catcher ever. Yep. Okay. So
3: there's a lot of people, a lot of people in St. Louis think they're watching the greatest catcher ever currently playing. I just wanted to hear from
0: Paul. He's a good catcher, but maybe the greatest Cardinals catcher is Ted Simmons, you know? Um, So, uh, but anyway, Brock and Bonds, you know, Bonds is going to win because of the the way that you guys, uh, you know, predict what the public does. but Brock was a very special player. It's um, too bad that he'll get eliminated by that. It's, uh, Maddox and Brett is interesting because um, Maddox is more recent. So and Bruce has pointed out that recency helps. But Brett is pretty well known because of the pine tar thing. Um, and because he hit 390 and he was always in the playoffs at a time when there were only four teams in the playoffs, I bet Maddox will win. Rosal hands down beat Wagner, even though I forgot to mention Wagner earlier as one of my handful of uh, greatest players of all time. There are two guys in this regional that, if I remember correctly, Major League Baseball had to add to the All Century team in 1999 because the public didn't know anything about them. And they are Stan Musial and Hannes Wagner. Uh, So they, um, you know, again, to me, maybe two of the top six baseball players ever but the presentism that you always face when you do a fan vote um, is tough. And uh, Mordecai Brown, great story, great pitcher, um, great competitor, but he's no Babe Ruth. So the Babe, uh, not only is a great player, but has the name recognition.
3: All right, Slat? Well, I thought it interesting. We stuck all the Reds in the same regional. Um, I, I, think, I think Ken Griffey, Jr. is one of the people who, and it's partly his fault, I think he gets punished by the steroid era, and if I was King Griffey Jr., I would have been standing on every soapbox on the top of the planet, claiming drug test, drug test, drug test, because he was putting up steroid-like numbers and was never ever linked to steroids. So Griff Jr. would have gone down as one of the five, six greatest players of all time if he wasn't having to compete with, you know, the steroid era people. I think Johnny. We'll get to Johnny Bench in a later. I think Pete Rose is overrated. Pete Rose played Pete Rose was a good ball player for a long time. So he's a he's a he's a number pack rat. He's got a lot of numbers only because he played for a long time. I don't think Pete Rose was ever a great ball player, ever. I think he was a really good ball player for a long time. So I think he's actually overrated. And I would not be surprised, not one iota if Lou Brock beats Barry Bonds in the first round, because I think there's gonna be some uh, steroid hatred, so I think that's gonna hurt Bonds. And I know that there's gonna be some St. Louis bias that's gonna help Brock.
1: Yes, there's, there's that. I, I agree with you <clears throat> for all those reasons. Plus, Bonds just is not likable. He's During his playing career, uh, he was uh, an, an ass to everybody. And uh, you haven't heard anything about him after. There's been no image rehabilitation. And so um, you have not only the, so I think steroids hits him even harder because people don't want to defend him. You know, um, I can stick up for McGuire and Sosa because of that, you know, what they did for baseball. And they're both likable, they're marketable. But Bonds, I think, I think he's vulnerable there um, as well. But anyway, Dan, what do you, what do you think?
2: Uh, two not all of it. To- Two, two things to say about this region. Um, uh, Bruce, I think you're exactly right that Pete Rose was a very good baseball player and he did it for a very long time. And that's what, and, and then you throw on top of it, the, um, the scandal and you've got somebody who could easily take, well, is going to take out Honus Wagner. No, like there is no argument there. Um, but I think the same thing can be said for Cal Ripken Jr. I am not a Cal Ripken Jr. fan. I mean, what, 276 lifetime average, um, mediocre at best home run total. The one thing that Cal deserves credit for is his career starts, right? Consecutive career starts. Other than that, was he a good baseball player? Yeah, he was a very good baseball player. But was he an all-time great baseball player? No, no, he was not even close. And I think that there are some people in our group that are probably going to say no he is the best ever um or arguably the best and i think that's silliness um i want to throw out there well it is i mean for, I, love it. You know, I just love silliness that's not <laughs> that's what we love. it's just silliness but it is love it. Love um, it. and i wanted to throw out there that bruce again i agree with you about ken griffey jr getting harmed by the steroid era but i do want to throw out there that had he done steroids his numbers would have been much higher, not because steroids makes you a better player, but because it keeps you healthy. And what did Ken Griffey, what harmed Ken Griffey Jr. Injuries. Injuries. Yep. Yeah. That was the one thing that we, he, I mean he played so hard and he was so beautiful to watch. God, that swing. Oh, I don't know of anybody who's got a prettier swing. Um, yeah. And then, Lou Brock versus Barry Bonds. I was going to hit on that one as well as a, as a possible sleeper.
1: Yeah, I think looking at Griffey in our in our rankings, um, I was the lowest on him. I gave him the highest number, I should say. Like I, I gave him a twenty nine, and some people we had we had a three and eight, thirteen. Um, but in my mind, it was it was just that it was that. Um, <clears throat> in contrast to Cal Ripken Jr. And as they say, the best ability is availability. And he just, he was out so much. And it was just always so tragic because he'd get hurt and he'd go, oh no, not again, poor Griff, you know? But he just, it's too bad. It's too bad. Because he was a phenomenal talent, for sure.
3: Even in 98, Rob, and Dan and I, you know, being here in St. Louis, for the first half of 98 on the front page of the paper, it was where was McGuire in in retrospect to Griffy and then Griffey got hurt in the middle of that race. Yeah. Yep, it could have been a three dog a three horse race down the stretch there. That's right. You're right. I forgot all
1: about that, but now I remember it for sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah, wow. Sammy didn't Sammy didn't show up till he had a 20 home run month, and that kind of thrust him back into the picture. That'll do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Did, have we all spoken on that one then? We got, yeah, Dan, Do you got anything else? You good? All right, we'll move into the final regional then. <clears throat> and here we see our number one overall. So uh, the Mobile, Alabama regional. And the first game in there is the number 15, Eddie Collins, playing number two, Lou Gehrig. The 10th seeded Mel Ott is playing number seven, Jimmy Fox. Number 11 is Tris Speaker, playing number six, Alex Rodriguez. 14th-seeded Hank Greenberg is up against number three, Mike Trout. Wade Boggs is the number 13, playing Joe DiMaggio at number four. The 12th-seeded Derek Jeter is up against number five, Bob Gibson. The nine is Christy Mathewson, playing number eight, Ichiro Suzuki. And the final game in the Mobile, Alabama Regional sees number 16, Jim Palmer, up against the overall number one, Hammer and Hank
3: Aaron. Slat, what do you think? Um... Well, I think Hank Aaron is going to is going to win this regional. I think an interesting player here is and it's kind of like with the Negro Leagues is we can only evaluate each Suzuki on what he did in MLB. And he did a lot. Don't get me wrong. But had we gotten him for the first six years of his career in this country, he, he would have, I think, have, barring health, easily surpassed Pete Rose's all time hit total. And we'd be looking at him as a top 10 all time ball player.
0: For sure. Don't forget his defense too. You know
1: that arm.
2: Yeah. Dan, what do you think? Uh, so there, there's three matchups in here that I'm, I'm really excited to see how they play out. Um, Mike Trout. Um, I, I, he's early in his career, but I do think that he deserves to be a regional number three. Um, he, the, the man is just remarkable and i want to see how many people take that into account but you know like like bruce was saying earlier um if albert pujols career had ended in at the the start of the 2012 season you know the same thing could be said about mike trout like all-time great numbers so far how many people are saying yeah but he's only been in the league for what seven eight years now um so I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. I'm re, as a Cardinal fan and as a baseball fan, I'm worried about that Bob Gibson versus Derek Jeter, uh, matchup that really, really concerns me. Um, I don't know that enough people recognize how absurdly dominant Bob Gibson was. And when we were talking earlier about, um, what that Cubs pitcher was what, what he said about playing uh, the role in the Babe Ruth story. Can you imagine what Bob Gibson would have done <laughs> if a baseball player? <clears throat> Anybody, if you take a second, listeners, look up some stories. Bob Gibson would not talk to the opposing team during a game. Oh, he He was all about in your face, just bullying you. He was a bully in every aspect of the game. Um, and I got to throw back to Bruce one more time, something he said, I think if I was looking at all time, every baseball who player who's ever lived, there's a good chance. My number one of all time would be Ichiro Suzuki. If, if I was saying I'm the general manager and I'm going to build a team around a player at their peak, at their peak. Ichiro might have been my number one overall pick because he was dominant in every aspect of the game. And um, he could have been a better home run hitter if he wanted to be or needed to be.
3: And Dan, believe it or not, this is Mike Trout's
2: 10th full season. Is it 10? I couldn't re- I I knew it was at least seven, but I couldn't remember if it was yeah, exactly. It, just,
3: it doesn't seem like that many because we've gotten to, wa- gotten to watch him play three playoff games. Yeah. That yeah. <clears throat>
2: but I love watching that man play. That's my two cents about this regional. All right,
1: Tim, we'll, we'll wrap it up with you then. I'm not gonna do every matchup
0: here because we have some marquee matchups that are interesting. Um, Bob Gibson was great and I would probably choose Bob Gibson myself, but I'm on the um, opposite side of a lot of people from Jeter, And what I always say is five men of the 20,000 who played major league baseball have more hits than Derek Jeter. So please do not tell me that he's an overrated baseball player. He's just smooth um, and intangible. Ichiro, I wanna point out, um, when uh, Dan said that he could uh, hit home runs if he wanted to, which he can, um, Cobb could do that too. Uh, So there's a comparison between Ichiro and Cobb. Um, They choose not to be power hitters. They choose to play uh, a different game love Christy Mathewson, but I would take Ichiro Suzuki there. The other thing I want to say about Suzuki is it's a different regional, but Ichiro Suzuki and Jackie Robinson came into the league at age 28. Um, So that what somebody said about imagine if we had him from age 20 or 21 on is also true for uh, Jackie Robinson. So, and actually long-term, Ichiro you know, Ichiro is the first uh, Asian position player to have a successful major league career. Um, and uh, I'm not sure how many, well, Hideki Matsui maybe, but um, the door opening aspect is something he also has in common with uh, Robinson.
1: With that, let's do, well, let's do that. Let's do Slat Sleeper, where Slat will pick an entry in the tournament that may not be a favorite or a high seed, but that he thinks has a chance to make some noise or a deep run. Slat. Which major league baseball player do you see that could surprise some people in this tournament?
3: He's he's number five. His jersey number is number five. He's a six seed, and Tim's already said it. He's the greatest character of all times. The six seed Johnny Bench ought to make a deep run in that.
1: Tim, did did, did you notice any of these guys that that may not be in the top half of the seedings that that do you think could do some damage here?
0: Uh, not really for me jumping out, you know, okay. like. Um, one of the things that surprised me was that a great player like Hank Greenberg is seated number 14, but, um, right. there's that, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing, Right. you know? Um,
1: so um, for sure. Know. All right. Well, um, what you were just talking about is what we'll do next. We call it staff selections where each of us will highlight a personal favorite that did not make the field of, uh, the upcoming tournament. So Dan, um, who, who didn't make the tournament that you wish would
2: have? Uh, i got to go with Wade Boggs. I'm just kidding. That's a throwback to, throw back to a couple episodes right. ago. <laughs> ah, uh, where I love it, the
1: self-slam.
2: I yep, love it. Self-slam. Uh, no, The, the, the <laughs> guy who I really wish would have made it into the tournament that I think deserved to be in the tournament um, was Chipper Jones. I loved the way Chipper played. He was a key ingredient in a number of years. I mean, like if it wasn't for Hank Aaron, he would be Mr. Brave, right? Like Mr. Brave's player. Uh, but I liked the way he played, um, liked watching him. He was a good personality. He seemed like he was um, playing baseball for the right reasons and truly loved baseball, not that he was just trying to be a superstar. Um, very consistent. So, so yeah, Chipper. Chipper's the guy that I wish would have made the tournament.
1: Um, mine... I think I would have liked to have seen, considering most of our group again is Midwest and a lot of it is, um, we have some Cub fans of stuff and I'm a Cubs fan. So naturally I'm going to go there. But um, Andre Dawson, <laughs> I think it would have been all right. And um, I mean, I just love watching him play uh, and for him to win the MVP on a last place team. Uh, I think speaks to his greatness, at least in that, in that specific time. And he was a great player, but had played for Montreal or, and like, we didn't have the media exposure that if he was a Yankee um, or, you know, on the Cubs his whole career, I mean, people would have seen him play every day on WGN. And I think would have, um, he would have gotten more recognition for just how good he was. But so the Hawk is mine. Uh, Tim, Tim, is there someone who so, didn't make there,
0: it? Yeah, um, you know, it's a tough question, especially because I didn't prep it. But um, I'm going to go with someone that Cubs and Cardinal fans probably can agree on, and that's uh, Bruce Souter. Um, I noticed in the last couple of minutes that um, there are a lot of great closers that didn't make this list uh, Trevor Hawkins, Dennis Eckersley, Goose Gossage. So, Um, and I, I, I even said earlier that, you know, I, I kind of, as an old timer, I kind of hold it against Mariano Rivera that he only has to play one inning, but, um, what Suter did, uh, was earlier than most of those guys and, um, was just magic. Um, you would watch those games on TV and he was very effective for the Cardinals, but when he first came up for the Cubs, every major league hitter would swing at that thing and it would just disappear. I mean, it was like that movie where the professor makes the ball miss the bat, that uh, it happens every spring. Um, So uh, if he had had a little more charisma, you know, if he had the personality of Mark Fidrich, um, you know, everybody in America would know this guy, but he just went out there and made the ball disappear and, you know, was very, very successful. Um, So I, I would say Suter. And most of those guys I mentioned are in the Hall of Fame, but I think that even though the relief pitcher is a recent development, or the closer is a, re, a recent development, um, there's a their position gets held against them a little bit in a lot of these kinds of um,
3: uh, setups. Sure.
1: Uh, Slatt, Just like DHs, you know. Yeah. Slat, who's your staff selection?
3: Well, and quickly on Souter. Souter was not a one inning closer. Souter right. was a was a two three inning closer. There's a big difference in what closers did in Suter's era and what closers are asked to do now. Uh, You would think my staff selection would be Joe Morgan, and you'd be wrong because Joe Morgan is one of those guys that had a Hall of Fame stretch, in my opinion, but didn't have a Hall of Fame career. So it doesn't bother me not one bit. My guy is actually a, a little bit of a surprise. If you look up fantasy baseball seasons, the person in the history of Major League Baseball that had the second greatest fantasy baseball season of all time was Ed Walsh? So, gosh darn it, Ed Walsh deserves to be in this tournament.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our of our talk about the Major League Baseball tournament. Um, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. That that was a fantastic conversation. I I definitely could talk for another four or five hours with you. It was just so much fun. So, we really appreciate you sharing your experiences and knowledge, your opinions with us um Thanks again, very much. Really yes, appreciate.
0: It. Thank you, guys. I had fun too, and you know, nobody's right and nobody's wrong. Like, uh, right. this is a pretty subjective kind of thing. Um, if this was a podcast where we had to really zero in on the numbers, um, I wouldn't be the right guest to have. You know, I like, uh, <laughs> fly by the seat of my pants. You know, so, um, Tim, I would like Tim. to listen to the the final. So, send me an email when it uh, when it becomes available. We'll do. Yeah. Well, Tim,
3: real, real quick before we lose you, Tim. I've heard numerous different answers on this question, so I want to ask this question to a guy that worked at the Hall of Fame for 19 years. When a player or an individual gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, do they select the logo that goes on their cap, or does the Hall of Fame select it?
0: Well, now uh, the answer is it, it has been both over time. So now it's the Hall of Fame, and my understanding of the reason that it's the Hall of Fame is that um, there was, uh, in sort of the late, uh, I don't, I don't remember when, uh, Boggs was inducted, but there was beginning to be a tendency where people wanted to, um, say to a team when they were going to, uh, sign a free agent contract at the end of the year. And by the way, if, and when I make the hall of fame, I'll put your logo on my cap. Um, and there's a rumor that, uh, Boggs, uh, suggested that to Tampa Bay um, when he signed with them at the end of his career, and I don't think the Hall wanted that to be the case, um, and I really don't know the history of 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 it prior to that, but it just generally wasn't controversial. Then, when you get into the free agent era and you get guys like Dawson and Suter, um, you know, a strong case, can, and Carter Gary Carter, a strong case, who incidentally is not in the poll either, right? Um, right. But, a strong case could be made for more than one team. You know, um, uh, yeah. Um, so at any rate, I think it um, it became a bargaining chip and possibly even a sales chip, um, and maybe to nip that in the bud. I don't know that it ever really happened, but I think someone at the Hall's board of directors said, "We could move in that direction since everything else is for sale. So let's let's take control of this." Is kind of my read on the situation.
1: Well, we'll let you go there, Tim. That's okay. Um, I'll be in Thank touch. You guys. I'll be in touch with you and keep you filled in on uh, on how this what's, goes. What's the
0: name? Thank you. What's the name of the Facebook group? I'll go ahead and join that. Awesome.
1: It's called Pop Culture Tournaments. Okay, great. I'll do that before
0: I head up for dinner. So. Well, great. Thanks. Then you much. can keep
1: track of it yourself. You can even vote if you want to. Hey,
0: there you go. <laughs> anyway, all right. Take care. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you, Too, Tim. Nice
1: talking to you. Okay, let's look at the results from our Greatest Fast Food Restaurant Tournament. Taco Bell came in fourth place. Arby's took third. Chick-fil-A was the runner-up. And Culver's took home the title of Greatest Fast Food Restaurant. Dan, what would you think of the tournament?
2: I thought it was a good tournament. Um, I thought it was an interesting one. A lot of twists and turns that I didn't expect. I never would have guessed Culver's would have ended up being number one. Never. you would if you would have given me 15 guesses culver's would not have been one of those 15. that's what i'll say that's 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 not a knock on culver's right i did not see that that was the way they were going to go
1: same here like in the area that we live in if you were to give me the choice to say tonight we're going to eat at a fast food restaurant where you want to go i would go to culver's i did not expect the group to vote that way i mean same way i mean top 10 maybe perhaps but it's not national, right? I mean, there are there are people in the group that said, I've never had it, right? So that, I really thought something national would win, like, because that would appeal to the most people in the group, whereas one might feel more strongly about something that only they have in their area, but they wouldn't have the numbers to support them. But Slat, so what would you think?
3: Oh, uh, exactly the same thing. Once again, the group said to us, hey, you think we're going to zig? We're going to zag. you know. We, we, we treat Monopoly and Pac-Man like the icons they are. But when it comes to McDonald's, screw them. Right. And so you never have any idea what this group's going to do.
1: They do keep life interesting. They keep us on our toes.
3: McDonald's didn't even make the Elite Eight.
1: All right. So we also had, um, since our last podcast, we also had the greatest Broadway musical tournament and uh, Chicago – came in fourth place. Hamilton took third. Les Misérables took uh runner up and Wicked was named the greatest Broadway musical. Slat what do you what do you think about the Broadway musical tournament?
3: It was the ultimate example of recency bias. All four finals, all final fours were most more recent musicals. The old school musicals didn't stand a chance in this one. Little Surprise Jesus Christ Superstar was the kind of old school musical that made a run. But yeah. all the rest of them, all the rest of them were very recent. And this tournament was the most bizarre tournament of all times. We've, had, we've now had 18 tournaments in the, in what I call the modern era of the pop culture tournaments. So, <laughs> so essentially, essentially from the 80s music on. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, ru- I rule out the first few tournaments because the group was kind of getting their footing. Sure. So from, from the 80s music on, we've had 18 tournaments the average vote total per matchup has been 180 all right on the first day of the broadway musical tournament the average vote total was 165 so kind of a long average all right respectable by the, by the end of the tournament we were we were barely getting 100 votes in the tournament it was yeah. almost like it was like they were hockey fans it was like oh my team's eliminated let me know when next season starts <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. You know, it's like when the My Fair Ladies got eliminated, they're like, "We're done with you."
1: <laughs> yeah, that um, Chicago, Chicago got 166 votes by itself in the first round. In the Elite Eight, it it plus its opponent's votes did not equal half of that. I mean, <laughs> like, where did 166 people voted for it just two days ago? Where are you? You know, now 50 people voted for it. And it won.
3: Now, in fairness, midstream, Facebook decided to change a few things. Yes, yes. And so I don't know if it was as easy to get the polls out to the folk as it has been in the past. That's that's a great point. I think we've alleviated that problem. But I also think people might have come one day and went, where are they? Or I couldn't find them. Or, you know, Facebook is great at fixing things that aren't broken. And so that also could have played into it. Amen, brother.
1: Uh, Dan, I don't want to assume. So, would you like to say anything about the Broadway musical tournament?
2: Uh, I'll say not that it's th- <laughs> over. <laughs> no, I, I didn't dis- i didn't dislike it. Broadway musicals just isn't my my thing, and it's nothing against. Like, I, I respect them, but it's the first time that I have not voted in a single like competition within a tournament. Okay. But I didn't feel that it was right for me to vote because I have not seen any of them. Not have not seen a single one of them um, I've seen some obscure plays in colleges and high schools and whatnot, but none of them were these. So, um, I didn't, I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to vote in any way, shape, or form. That's all I'll say. I hope the folks that did vote, I hope they enjoyed it. I hope it was a great tournament for them.
1: Yeah. And that's what, you know, what we've always said as far as, um, it wouldn't have surprised me and i was fearing a little bit that uh when we opened up that broadway musical tournament that we would have more votes like the later rounds ended up being like um and but at the same time i really like having stuff like that that is um with a big group of people having kind of niche tournaments where um maybe somebody like that's their passion and they love it you know, but it doesn't appeal to the, the, the wider group, but this is one thing they're really in. So they're really having a great time and the people that don't like it, they wait 10 days, it's over. And then we're on to something else. And so I don't mind these tournaments. I don't, I don't mind the vote totals. I, of course I wish they were higher just because to me, that means people, more people are engaged. I always like more people having fun, but um, I don't mind it. And, and so even coming up with, with other subjects, I don't think I'll ever say like, well we don't want to do this one because it'll be like Broadway one and like nobody's gonna vote like I still think that there's some merit in doing those kind of specialty tournaments that the few people really enjoy
2: I agree 1,000 percent like Broadway was not for me but Rob I thousand percent agree with you which by the way 1,000 percent is I it's identical to 100 percent there's, there's <laughs> There's no such thing as 1,000%. So it's actually 100%. It's 100 plus emphasis. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) All right. That wraps up today's episode. We hope you'll join us and vote on your favorite Major League Baseball player of all time in our Facebook group, Pop Culture Tournaments. You can also follow our podcast page on Facebook. If you'd like to write to the show, you can do so at popculturetournaments at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please consider giving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. It will help others find the show, and we'd appreciate it. Please enjoy the greatest Major League Baseball player of all time tournament. On behalf of our seating committee and the awesome members of our group, this is Rob. I'm Flat. I'm Dan. We'll talk to you next time.